episode 10. Hello again and welcome to the Beneath the Lamp podcast. As always, we are found at beneaththelamp.com. That's where we have our blog and where the uh, past podcast episodes are hosted. If you would like these episodes dropped directly to your device, please go to beneaththelamp.com slash subscribe. With the housekeeping out of the way, let's get to our episode for the week. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Beneath the Lamp podcast. I'm Justin, and we have Chris and Eric with me. Hi. Hello. Uh, Today we are going to wrap up our discussion on satire. Today we're going to talk about satire in uh, uh, TV shows and uh, finish up with some satire discussion that we might see more on social media in terms of memes or GIFs or GIFs or however you want to pronounce it. So can I can I make a comment real quick? Yes. No. <laughs> no. Uh, in, in this era of, of difficult times, COVID-19, uh, you may or may not hear some dog noise in the background. There's very little I can do about it. <laughs> just just to give you a sort of heads up on that. Everybody. Can't you speak to them in their own that. language? I mean, haven't you've had enough time with well, yeah. these it, creatures? That's uh, basically why am I in this uh, pen? Let me out. <laughs> Is there any dog satire that we can talk about? So much. <laughs> uh-huh. All right, thanks for that. Um, so, yeah, if you hear uh, dogs whining or complaining in the background, they are, uh, they're just fine. There's nothing untoward going, going on. They're just in their kennels. So we talked about uh, what satire is, and it's uh, a genre of literature, performing arts, in which... Vices, follies, abuses, shortcomings are held up to ridicule, uh, ideally with the intent of shaming individuals, corporations, governments, or you know society or groups within society, with the hope that something will change for the better. So with that, we'll move into a discussion of uh, TV programs, which brings us more into um, current day. So books started off in the past, movies moved us you know, more or less into where we are now, but... Uh, the, the the satire that we've seen in TV programs that we'll talk about really kind of started in the late 80s and early 90s and then has continued on to today. So, Eric or Chris, do you want to start us off? I'll take it. Um, I was thinking about this earlier today, and I I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that television may be a better medium for satire than movies because Television can be much more topical. You can put together something much more quicker, much quicker, uh, and thus be able to deal with issues as they happen. And second, television allows you to do the running good jokes. It allows you to build characters more. Uh, so I think TV, as as opposed to movies and even books, allows this wide kind of story arc meta satire. And some of the shows that we're going to talk about are great examples of things that they can do that you couldn't do in a movie, uh, which makes television, I think, just the, the perfect uh, setting for, for satire. And so I'm going to jump right in to uh, I, my favorite satire, hands down, is South Park. Um, I've watched the show since I was in, what, high school? I still watch it. South Park, for me, is the quintessential satire to television show. Uh, they can put it together 
overnight because it's very cheaply made. Uh, so you'll see episodes that are pulled from the headlines, as it were, uh, the week of. Because it's on cable, they can get away with things that they couldn't on network TV. And South Park is a beautiful example of the irreverent approach. And it's, I have, I didn't write this, but whichever one of us wrote us on a note, I think it's correct. It really does exhibit all forms of satire. It really hasn't kept itself in, in one box. I would echo all of that. Uh, South Park has been something I've loved from the same time as you. Um, just happened upon it when I was in high school and the South Park movie came out, which was hilarious uh, to me at that time in my life. And I've stuck with it ever since. And it's it's funny to watch the evolution, uh, whereas it, you know, it started with actually making fun of school children at the age of third grade or fourth grade. Uh, and then it grew. And after, I suppose what was it, three, four seasons, it really kind of found its stride where they took that show and they made it into what it is today, where it is what you said, Eric, they can pull a, um, a headline from that week and completely excoriate anybody involved in, in the ridiculousness of everyday life that we see in, in politics or any other aspect of the news. Well, and uh, because the whole style is very lowbrow, at least in the way it's uh it's uh, an animated. They can get away with things. For instance, I, I remember when uh, they had an entire show set up when Hill Dog was expected to win the 2016 e election where Bill Clinton was going to be the first gentleman. And there were going to be all these Bill Clinton jokes. And lo and behold, Trump wins. So they on the fly had to rewrite that episode. And they did a very good job. But you can tell a lot of the episode was thrown together at the last minute because they, like everybody else, didn't expect Trump to be in office, which is even funnier because for those of you who aren't watching it, they have a character from South Park who is a Trump – he's he's Trump. And they started him, what, like 2014, 2015, kind of taking on these Trump mannerisms to satirize Trump, and lo and behold, he becomes president. And so they're four years on still riding with this. And because it's not like a movie or it's not like a show that has more complicated animation, they can do this stuff on the fly. And it allows them to be so t topical. So I know Justin and I have talked about this. We've talked with other friends. We are excited to see what they do in the fall because they can, again, take their view of the COVID and everything else, and they'll be able to deal with it real time. As opposed to most other shows, there's a delay, there's a lapse. So by the time, or at least uh, cartoons, by the time uh, they comment on it, society's already moved past it. And then you have shows like The Simpsons. <laughs> take it, Chris. Who have, who have predicted some of the most absurd things, oftentimes decades before they have Trump becoming president. It's right. an episode from the 90s, for Christ's sake. How do they pull it off? Good writers, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's funny. I never watched South Park. I, in fact, my collective viewing of South Park could probably fit in the palm of my hand. And it's not for any reason other than I just never did. Well, you know, I suppose mainly I never had cable growing up. Fair. Um, didn't have didn't have cable and uh, 
college. Uh, and then when I finally did have cable, I was not at home to watch it. So I don't know, just never got into it, I guess. But yeah, I think one of the things that strikes me about TV show uh, satires is that it all kind of tends to fit neatly into very Horatian style. I mean, yeah, South Park does touch on everything, right? Absurdist, situational, uh, so forth and so on. But I think I think that small block of time for which you're actually able to tell the story really lends itself more to that Horatian style of satire than anything else. I mean, everything else kind of requires more of a buildup, I think, which is why you probably see it more in movies than anything else. But true. I also think that maybe that the reason satire lives so well in TV is because of that, that uh, short timing, you know, attention spans. Which is very true, although, and I was going to bring this up later, but I think the segue is uh, just being begged for it. I, you'll note shows that I very much like, like South Park and Archer, are moving more to the story arc concept. I've been in arguments over whether or not it's a good thing. I think it is a good thing. But for the last, what, four or five seasons, South Park has fewer episodes, and most of them are involved in a larger story arc. There are some Monster of the Week uh, shows, but they do have the larger story arc, which I, I actually agree with you, Chris. Heretofore, it was... You've, you've got to do the whole thing in 22, 23 minutes. But now with these story arcs, they are able to tell entire hours-long stories, which allows the satire to be much wider. I think it's a, I think it's a formula. I think in order to cater to, the, to a larger audience, you have to have sort of the bite-sized pieces that people tune in for. Like, oh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm tired of watching all the drama, all the medical dramas. I need something to laugh at. So you turn on... Uh, office the office or you turn on parks and rec or whatever some of us though need more than just the occasional laugh and in order to for me to be an engaged viewer in in a show like archer which i love i need that beyond the funny i need that story i need to know how is archer coming out of a coma and three seasons later (laughs) see that's it's the hook well, which is why I I may be in the minority of loving what they've done with Archer. I mean, I love the ISIS episodes too. Don't get me wrong. it's It's been brilliant from episode one, but I love the last, what, we're on the fourth season of these story arcs of, of taking all these characters that we've established and placing them in a completely different context. Yeah. Um, I think it's brilliant. I, I think it's brilliant writing, and it is a little less accessible because you can't really start mid season and it's taking a lot of chances because the humor is on a higher level, but I think it's brilliantly done. A couple of comments. One, uh, yes, South Park has been doing more story arc type seasons. I'm fairly certain that Parker and Stone have said that they're done with that for a while because it's gotten oh, to really? be too monotonous and it, yeah. it, it, it pens them in far too much. Um, Again, I'll have to go and verify that. Anyway, what I was going to say is I agree with Chris that, yeah, I I think that um, the short timing makes this a lot more likely to be the Horatian type of satire. But another thing that helps with that is that you couldn't – I don't think you could do – um, an absurdist or or a situational type of satire in a long-running show where you need to have character continuity – um, if things get too absurd, I mean, all of a sudden you, you can't relate to characters anymore. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I think absurdity still has a place in TV shows, but I think it is just little snippets. By and large, it's it's going to be the the main Horatian style. And again, I'll go back to the Simpsons and all of those just off the wall crazy predictions that were absolutely asinine to to think of back ten years ago have all of a sudden became become mainstream and, and somewhat you know have a real basis in reality. And, but they but at the time they weren't the main point of of the episode. Like the the news is just the commercial that Homer was watching as he's on before he's heads over to Moe's or whatever the case may be. It's it's little snippets here and there. So yeah, I I agree with that. So growing up, because The Simpsons has been on, wow, since the late '80s, right? Yeah. Uh, did you ever realize you were watching satire? Like when you were twelve or fourteen and watching The Simpsons, did you catch? The deeper meaning, I, I'd like to think that I did, but I don't honestly remember thinking that. I don't honestly remember thinking, oh, what a great take on suburban life. No. No idea. I didn't know what suburban uh, I, life was, man. True, true. Well, that's true. Yeah, country boy. Right. Uh, which I suppose is maybe not a discussion for right now, but it's impressive when, when a show can reach – somebody with just the humor and somebody else with the, with the deeper satire and leave them both satisfied. Uh, you know, to answer the, the original question, I recognized that it was funny because it was poking fun at, at uh, what I would refer to as an institution. But would I have known to call that satire when I was 12? No, it just, but, but I would have recognized it. And then, you know, later when I found out what the definition of satire was, <laughs> I probably would have connected the two. But well, I, think, I, mean, I think satire has become comedy. And I think that's why an awful lot of people confuse the two. Uh, like satire is comedy because that is just how we have chosen to relate to uh, our environment and our worlds these days. And so by because of that, I think you tend to recognize it but you probably just mislabel it or, or uh, take the the low take the low road and call it humor. Right. Well, I, I just I'm thinking back and trying to remember. So let's say uh, a show like Home Improvement, it was out and big at the same time that Simpsons was, and I liked them both and I watched them both. But I think you're right, Chris, that I recognized even as a teenager that there it was a different type of humor. I mean, Home Improvement was a good show. I enjoyed it, but it was pretty light situational comedy. Whereas mm-hmm. the, the Simpsons was, as you noticed, it was poking funds at institutions. It was taking on societal norms. And even if I didn't have the uh, ability to say it like that, or I didn't uh, know enough about, about society to know what was being mocked, I understood that it was a different type of humor and a different type of an approach to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was poking fun versus just being funny. Well, right. And I mean, that's where I think the there's a pretty bright line between the sitcom, the situational comedy in which you put people into a humorous situation as opposed to a satirical point of view where you are – you may have people in that situation, but you are – it's done to – demonstrate the problem with the situation and not just to laugh at them in getting their way out of it. Yeah. Uh, But even there, you you have a real thin line between the two. Think about Seinfeld. It is. Um, I was thinking about Seinfeld this, this morning, which, uh, 
South Park is my favorite satire, and Seinfeld is my is my favorite comedy. And for the reasons that we've been talking about, I can make that distinction. Seinfeld definitely has satirical elements. I think of, for instance, their take on Del Boca Vista and the uh, Florida retirement communities. But overall, Seinfeld is not satire. It's comedy. They aren't poking fun at deeper institutions. And I think that's a really good example of how you can differentiate. Well, true, but Mark Twain wasn't necessarily making fun of deeper institutions either. He was making fun of uh, a, a, a class of entertainment, though. I mean, other other books that were popular at the time. Yeah, and I, I still oh, think, so, for instance, oh, there's and, institutions still back then. That is right, pretty pretty right. deep. Um, but we also have pointed out that satire can be very situational, and I think that's where uh, Seinfeld lived. Mm-hmm. I I agree, and uh, again, I'm not trying to make bright line distinctions here but i do think that as a general rule i wouldn't call seinfeld sat- satire i'd call the simpsons satire but i i wouldn't call Sa- i don't seinfeld know satire. Man. i don't know like if you look at the core group of, of characters in seinfeld sure although i would put it that uh <laughs> george's uh hot temper is satirical of that type of person like kramer's character is satirical of that type of character you know, all the people that Jerry knows is a, is basically a satirical take on a on a specific character, no different than how like Napoleon Dynamite works. But if if that's not deep enough for you, then you have to look at the supporting characters like the Soup Nazi and and uh, Pittman and um, uh, who Putty. was George's boss at the eighties? Yeah, and Putty. Putty. Yeah, those are all very satirical characters. I agree. Again, it had aspects of satire, but it also had episodes that were just flat-out comedy. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I, I'm looking at this now in terms of of comedy in general, and in particular, stand-up comics. So you mentioned Home Improvement. Tim Allen was a comic. He was he was there to get you to laugh because it was funny. George Carlin was a satirist. He was there to mm-hmm. make you laugh, but at the same time, the points he was making were far deeper than right. uh, where, where you know the level the joke was at. I just and again, I'm not picking on Seinfeld. Seinfeld is one of my favorite shows, bar none. But as a general rule, and I think Justin's absolutely right, it's observational humor, and it's wonderfully done. And I absolutely agree that. Uh, there is a lot of satire for for archetypes, but ultimately it's a sitcom. Ultimately, it's a situational comedy. How and do you... most most Seinfeld episodes aren't dealing with deeper issues? How would you differentiate that from uh, situational satire then, which is something that we did define as a no, form of satire? In the book absolutely. Series. I this is this is what I'd say. If the soup Nazi episode which, again, is a brilliant piece of comedy. If the Soup Nazi episode took that humor with the Soup Nazi and started to poke fun at Nazism, at authoritarianism, at uh, what uh, uh, the New York C- City restaurant I- industry, that would be more of s- satire, whereas all the comedy with the Soup Nazi was this guy who was extremely serious about his soup and the humorous situations that we could get into. You don't watch that episode and start thinking about deeper social ills 
and I, so, I mean, that's where I would, or let's use Justin's example of say George Carlin. If you listen to as much George Carlin as, as I have, you'll see a lot of his bits. There's a couple minutes of non humor. There's a couple minutes where he's telling a story and a lot of it is him complaining about things. And right. then he brings in a humorous a- anecdote. Like, for instance, I've been sharing. He's got a great piece from what? The 70s about germophobia and about how when he grew up, he was never sick because he swam in, in the Hudson, which is just raw sewage. And he makes some wonderful humor. But ultimately, he's making a serious point, which is that we shouldn't be so afraid of germs because our immune system needs to help them. And, and so the point is – if you listen to Tim Allen or Gilbert Gottfried or name or, or Jerry Seinfeld, these more observational comedians, generally they aren't talking about societal malaise. They're just talking about funny stuff. Mm, see, I, maybe this is where we start to come to the realization that some satire could be subjective. Because what you're talking about is not what I got out of Seinfeld when I was watching Seinfeld. And I, I, I think there's room for that. But what I got out of Seinfeld, whenever I'd watch an episode, I'd, I'd think to the characters that I saw and I thought, and I would think, those can't be real. Though, that has to be a commentary on the potential for there to be a very similar situation. And, and the satire for me is you need to not take life as seriously as these characters. That was but, the mission statement that I got out of that. And to me, that's still satire. Sorry. Ultimately, most characters in Seinfeld are based on real people, though. I mean, there yeah, actually was a soup Nazi. And yes, but they, they are exaggerated, but not for a satirical purpose. And I agree, by the way, that this is it is subjective, and we don't need to spend hours arguing over semantics. And I think that we can both well, We should just end this podcast business. series right now if we're not going to argue <laughs> over semantics. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> But I think, I mean, we can just agree to disagree on that aspect of it. Um, well, you know, it's like it's like uh, I always say, you're certainly entitled to your opinion, but the fact of the matter is you're wrong. <laughs> which is which is actually what I usually say. Well, before so. we wrap this argument up, why don't we just move it into the next topic? And uh, because I think that in terms of, like, say, memes or other things that we see on social media – I think the distinction between humor and satire is just as muddled. Yeah, this is fair. This is fair. So let's let's transition over over there. And I mean, memes are a relatively new phenomenon. I don't know how far back we could say that they went. Um, I seem to think. I'm trying to remember Trans- the first memes I've seen. In- motivational. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, yeah, Dawkins invented the word in the '70s, but I don't think it was actually applied to what we consider to be memes until what. 15 years ago, 10 years ago? All I remember is a transition from motivational posters to memes. <laughs> and it was by Cracked. Cracked was, was responsible for all of that. Yeah. Or the, I, uh, the Jack Handy um, SNL stuff lent itself very well to being memes. We're in, I think we are the meme generation in that people our age were the ones who really made that leap from social commentary to social satire and i think it's subtle but i distinctly remember seeing the growth of the meme seeing the growth of these almost living organic social satire that would flow from person to person either across the internet or across phones and it's a beautiful thing 
I think memes are wonderful things because it is it is a satire, but it's it's decentralized and viral in the in a good way. I probably shouldn't use vi- viral in a positive sense right now, but that, that's exactly what, what it is. And what I love about it is again the decentralized nature of it. It's some person makes it, and for no apparent reason, it spreads. It strikes a nerve, and and it spreads. And so we have these wonderful memes, and if you go to some of these databases, you can find out the guy – they've tracked the very guy who who invented Rickrolling. But that's not the idea. It's not like he's got a a statue somewhere. Everybody knows what Rickrolling is, but they don't know where it came from. They don't know how it started, but they've joined in that kind of group satire. I think what memes does for society is it brings – an extremely popular mechanism for which to call attention to issues. And it puts it in the hands of the everyday man. I not, every, not everybody wants to direct a movie. Not everybody wants to write a book. Not everybody wants to create a TV show or be a producer, but everybody has access to social media and Photoshop. And, and I think it just, it just takes that form of statement. And because frankly people by and large are passive aggressive by nature at least in my opinion it's it's the perfect medium yeah i agree and this is where the internet is a tool that can be used for great good and great evil but this is i think the meme concept is is positive it's it's mass social satire it's anti-establishment it's creative destruction i think it's a wonderful thing i i would agree i think it's a wonderful thing and i think i mean who hasn't been sitting in a, in a meeting for work or in some other social situation and uh someone who is in command of the moment at the time says something that is completely absurd utterly ridiculous beyond belief and everybody just sits there and accepts it as if nothing <laughs> it, nothing crazy happened and what a meme does is it allows your mind to be able to capture that and then share it with people around you because it wasn't just you that recognized it. Everybody else did the same thing. But this allows us to be able to, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of a better way of, of putting it. I mean, while it is decentralized, there, there's something remarkably unifying about that decentralization because a lot of the things that the, me, the memes capture and the satire in it is something so universal. Right. Well, and does this go back to what Chris talked about in our first episode in this series, where a lot of satire is used to deal to, and I don't remember what the exact word Chris used, but it was extremely insightful. Um, But the idea is, just like Justin says, if many memes are for a group of people who are trying to deal with the same issue in their lives and it allows them to corporately poke fun at it in a way and and i agree it's it's uh it's there's there's a large matter of catharsis in it you know it's another another aspect of the meme that uh is (laughs) maybe not so overlooked right now as it has been in the past but i can remember being in members of, of online forums for various car culture type stuff and one of the things that would always get passed around when people would get into heated debates is this idea of e-sarcasm, electronic sarcasm, that you couldn't, you couldn't read it because you're always going to read it as a dig or some kind of a, a bold um, negative statement. But in reality, 
you call it out and the next post is, oh, I was just being e-sarcasm. I was just using e-sarcasm. Well, I, that's to me what memes uh, uh, sort of negate. They, uh, you have the text and you have the picture to go along with it. And all of a sudden now with the two in context, you, you can have a, a social media platform where there is no actual conversation and intonation to your voice and, you know, mannerisms and uh, nonverbal language. All of a sudden now you've got a pictorial representation of why you're you're being silly whereas before it was completely lost and i think as we have this sort of i don't know transition into a texting tech in uh, society that uh, it becomes more important to go back to that pictorial representation <laughs> that's true the only thing running through my mind right now is is yes absolutely i agree with you 100 percent that memes do provide context to uh, a lot of the conversations that we're having online and the best part is that that context carries back into text. And so now, when you tell someone to stop being a Karen, everybody knows what that means. And that's all thanks to memes. You know, yeah. or, or, or you know, whatever the other names are for people out there, Chad or and whatnot. Kyle. Kyle. Kyle the Kyle. Kyle's yeah. a big one these days. Yes. Kyle. Yeah. I haven't heard about Kyle. Kyle's the, the monster energy drinking, vaping, Subaru driving cliche. Mm-hmm. That's, that's definitely a Kyle. I got to take issue with you, Eric. It wasn't our generation that shepherded in the the meme age. It it was people in their twenties, yeah. in, in in backwards places of you know four chan and eight chan who came up with all this stuff. And we only see these memes after they've filtered through three or four different levels. So we're we're oldsters when it comes I'm to this claiming, stuff. I'm still claiming it. <laughs> Isn't that part of being Gen X? I mean, don't we don't we claim all the great stuff and just and just blame the bo- boomers or the millennials for all the bad stuff? I mean, isn't that isn't that what we do? No, <laughs> it's not what we do. We sit around listening to depressing music. That's exactly right. And there is nothing wrong with it. I have listened to nothing but Soundgarden for the last four, four days. Don't you even pretend? We don't claim fame to anything because nobody cares about us. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. It's, uh, it's been a long time since I had, I had hair. I could, I could dye black. <laughs> I'll give you this one, though. I, I'm pretty sure it was our generation that came up with motivational posters since the last time anybody actually saw one on a wall other than a kitten poster was prob- or a dentist office, I, I suppose, was when we were kids. So you may be Did those ever motivate one person, except mo- motivate them to leave the room they were in? You know, oftentimes what hinged on me hanging in there was the picture of that poor little kitten. Well, let's uh, bring this back to where we started with South Park and uh, the the episode called Butt Out, where the kids <laughs> sit through a lyceum, because I can use that word, uh, where a group of teens comes in and sings a song about how smoking isn't cool and does freestyle rap. And it is such a motivating, uh, it has such a motivating impact on, on the, the, the kids that they walk outside as soon as the Lyceum is over and immediately begin smoking, smoking because they That's don't exactly. want to end up like those kids, which is much like the motivational <laughs> posters of our youth. Oh man. That's a great episode. <laughs> old, I get the, the only reason I started. The only reason I started smoking was so I could have the feeling of quitting. <laughs> I think we have done an excellent job of covering satire, and uh, I think we need to move on to to something less satirical. Any anything else? 
if we still have listeners, they're begging us to pick a different topic. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to our discussion on satire. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we, we enjoyed uh, jawing back and forth about all of this stuff. Um, if you can't tell, satire has played a large role in, uh, in all of our 40 years so far. 